Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Defensively, listen, my hat goes off to the defense. Uh, you can't move forward in the NFL playoffs uh, if your defense doesn't play well. And I thought from the DBs to the defensive line to the linebackers, I thought everybody was flying around making plays. And uh, I just, uh, again, my hat goes off to the guys for that. Um, they were incredible on third downs, first, second downs, you know, just played a great a great game all the way around. My hat goes off to Spags and EB and Tobe for the jobs that they did and the coaches. Um, I, you know, I wanted to mention Tony in the mix there too. I thought he he had some nice plays for us being a, kind of the new kid on the block. He he had some nice plays. Our young DBs uh, again stepping up. Watson with the the interception. Uh, I mean, what what a great job. The two turnovers were obviously huge uh, for us and. Um, Great team win. So that time's yours. Uh-huh. Yeah, got it. Definitely don't. Yeah. No problem. Okay. Will do. All right. Thank you. All right. Sorry, guys. Jerry Jones just came in and told me not to bleep up this podcast. So my er, my nerves right now, <laughs> wow. totally at ease. No fear wow. whatsoever. Ice in my veins. I am feeling very confident about how this show is about to go. Appreciate Mr. Jones. For making the time to come in to make sure that I'm in a good headspace as we begin this edition of Times Ours right here on The Athletic. Joshua Briscoe, Nate Taylor, Seth Kaiser, the trio <laughs> with you here today. Um, mercifully, I don't think we're going to need to see Clark Hunt down there on the field <laughs> just trying to, <laughs> to, try to slap Tommy Townsend around or anything Gosh. Uh, leading into the AOC championship game. He is one that of was, a kind. One of a that kind. Was, that was um, that was one of my favorite things I've ever seen uh, happen on a football field, and it happened before the game actually began. Uh, but another good thing happened on a football field this week. The Chiefs advanced to their fifth consecutive AFC Championship game, and for the fifth consecutive time, it'll be at Arrowhead Stadium. But it also came at quite the price, as uh, the ankle heard around the world is going to be a very big topic today, later this week, and all the way up until the AFC Championship game. So, fellas, how are you feeling uh, about the uh, world's most famous ankle, a game that was good enough for the Chiefs to advance, and now yet another rematch with the Cincinnati Bengals? This this 80-year-old man told me if I don't (laughs) do my job, the checks will stop being written. (laughs) And uh, I know that. I already know that. (laughs) I don't need you. To tell me that in front of everybody out here. I I know the checks are going to stop. Okay. Just let me do my job today. Um, He is one of a kind. Oh. <laughs> Thank goodness. So. um, We've reached so many heights on this show, guys. And I didn't want to share this with y'all before we hit record. Um, but it warms my heart, you know, uh, the chiefs win, um, 
you know, when you get into these playoff settings that are more of our colleagues um, at these sporting events, because there's only four of them this past weekend. And the amount of times that people we know and uh, some of which you guys might not know told me about the weirdness of the Chiefs just warmed my heart. It was like I was on a mini coronation from my press box seat to the locker room where just about every interaction was about, man, they really do only play weird games. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it was like, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, whether it's, you know, Jeff Howe, uh, you know, one of our national writers for The Athletic who uh, was covering it from the Jaguar side, um, you know, <laughs> it was just it was just fascinating to be like, yeah, man, this is what they do. This is who they are. You know, shout out to my guy, Joe Drake, uh, who works at The New York Times, who is another um, Kansas City native. Um, so I've seen him a ton over the last few years. I, I love Joe Drake. And he's just like, it's never, it's, no, 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 Joe. It's never straightforward. No. <laughs> like, get that out of your head. Like. There's um, no pre-writing your game story no, at halftime. It's, it's just not like, happening. It's just like, nah, man. <laughs> and of course he's like, how do you do it? <laughs> <laughs> so, so it was, it was a joy um, to, to be reminded uh, that, yeah, all they do is play weird games. I didn't even have to say it on 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 Twitter. Um, you know, me and Pete Sweeney kind of went down at the same time. And Pete was like, I mean, I know you guys aren't saying it for, like, you know, totally, like, comedic terms. But, like, really, when like, when is the first normal? I was like, that'll be the first normal game. Like, the first normal postseason game we see will be that one, you know? So, um, there was a, there was a, there's a really neat thing about the fact that, as I said before, they're trying to accomplish two things at once. (laughs) Now you can add a third because the quarterbacks (laughs) hurt, but they're trying to, you know, accomplish keeping their window you know, relatively opened or as open as it was a year ago, which they have actually accomplished and achieved. And also trying to insert this youth movement without it sort of um, slowing down their normal annual trips to the AFC championship game. Um, And they won because that combination proved to be the right combination. And, um, I probably would have wrote that story had not the quarterback um, <laughs> suffered a significant right ankle injury. Um, it. The last thing I'll say before I pass it along is just someone with knowledge of the situation told me Saturday night. I got to make sure I keep my dates intact. That like, hey, it's a high ankle sprain. We'll see how it goes. You know where this is heading. And I was just like. Mahomes Watch 2.0. Guys, the amount of text from family members, from friends, <laughs> from long distant colleagues or acquaintances, let alone 
you know, uh, other media entities that want to get a little more information that is both accurate and obviously advances moving forward to the championship game. I'm about to live that all over again. Like every text is like, what, what did you see? What is, yeah. this, what, is <laughs> what does he say? Nate, what's his phone number? It's like, dog, come on. Like I can't. So on Wednesday, pray for me y'all. Cause they go, <laughs> they gonna want to know everything. Uh, which is fine. Cause like, that's the beauty of sports. Yeah. But, but Nate, what did you see? Well, yeah, so Nate, here's the thing: is what's going on though? Yeah. Okay, what, okay. What, what's his number? I have, I have saved. I, I, I mean, at one point. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here's the thing: I saved this just for the podcast. Um, it's playoff time. I got to give you something uh, that I couldn't totally write in the moment. So I'm going to start it here, and then I'll end with something at the when we end the show. I'll have a little like mini locker room vignette. Guys, the performance after the performance was just as impressive. I mean, so they open up the locker room, and of course, everyone's going to like beeline to 15's locker. A, he's not there. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> B, of course he's not. <laughs> B, I know how this usually works. He's going to go talk to us at the podium. That's cool. I'm just, you know, heads on a... I mean, I'm in playoff mode. It's like, you know, I got a clock in my head. One question, two questions, three questions. Get out! (laughs) Get to the next guy! Mm -hmm. Uh, And then it happened. We were alerted that Patrick was headed towards the podium. This man glided. He crossed the middle of the locker room to the exit doors of the locker room. And I you watched know. and I watched the whole thing. Yep. No grimace, a little bit of a smirk, maybe a grin, depending yeah. on your perspective. The confidence in which he walked those, I don't know, hundred steps. I sat there and I marveled. I said, I don't know if they've given you something else after the game. But this is truly like championship quality gamesmanship. No boot, as I wrote in the story. His gait was incredibly smooth for someone that I had just saw hobble for essentially two hours. And then he talked to us. Uh, had his had his tennis shoes on. You know he was he was whatever I can't remember what the the fit was the fit. He did not change his fit at any at any point. Then he said, thank you. He's walked out, stepped aside, and it was at this point that I looked at Aaron Laugh from Channel 41 and I said, he said, you know it's already in the bag. And I was like, look, he's not in a walking boot. Look, man, like, <laughs> I saw Clyde have something very similar, and he was in a walking boot the moment the locker room was open. He ain't yep. got a walking boot. Aaron goes, it's probably in the bag. And I'm like, or the car, or with Brittany, or whoever. You know, you just kind of talk these things through. Like, like, hey, but he doesn't have the walking boot on right now. And then I said, 
the moment he gets home, this is, this is exactly what I said to Aaron. The moment he gets home, he needs to elevate that thing to the heavens. <laughs> <laughs> that man needs what, to hang upside down yes, like a bat for like the next six <laughs> But what he just did in front of all of us, which I don't really think is the difference between winning and losing next week, but the fact that he did it was enough for me. Was just, oh. Now, there are things I have to write that like actually occurred on the field, but I probably could have wrote like half the story just on that. Uh, but I, I figured it was probably better to save it for here in this sort of context. Nice. But like this man walks like he wasn't going through pain, and you know he in pain. He different, y'all. He's he is he is truly a special athlete who is just like even even this little stuff. Um, yeah, let him know I'm ready to go to the podium. He's and, and let him let him let me let him let him see me walk to the podium. He's he's competitive about handling a high ankle sprain. Yes. I'm gonna handle this so much better than anyone else. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, this so the, Saturday was a really interesting game because um, Jazz watched it with me for one thing, which is unusual. Hey, which he's not yeah. in the stadium. <laughs> yes, yeah, which is not in the stadium, and even then, you know. <laughs> it's hit or miss. She, she'll watch the sidelines. She'll like point stuff out to me. She pointed out to me. I don't know if you guys saw on the broadcast, but during the first drive, Travis Kelsey wiped his hand on the back of Patrick Mahomes' jersey. That is a thing that happened. Rewatch the broadcast. <laughs> my wife, and I'm watching. He's got his hand like kind of near Patrick Mahomes. He just like wipes his hand off. I don't know if it was, it was wet there and Mahomes, he's the quarterback, so his jersey is dry or what. But that's what Jazz brings to the table when she yes. She's like, he just wiped his hand on his jersey. I was like, you know, I thought he did, but I didn't want to say anything. But that's just what the GOAT can do. If the GOAT wants to wipe his hands on anyone's jersey, even the GOAT in the making, he gets to do it. Because, by the way, I'm not even, I'm dropping all pretenses with Travis Kelsey. He's the GOAT. Anyone who thinks otherwise can argue into their pillow and point me to a game where Rob Gronkowski was the offense and was it wasn't systematic and part of Tom Brady. Second greatest tight end to ever live. Incredible player. One of the best players in NFL history. Not the GOAT tight end because he's not Travis Kelsey. And Travis Kelsey's the GOAT tight end. So, yeah. Anyway, it was interesting to me also because I got to watch my wife go through, like, I don't know if I would call it, like, uh, wife empathy syndrome when Mahomes got hurt Mm. and he tried to go back out there. She's like, oh, I bet Brittany's mad. I bet she's like, I think they should cut to her. I wonder, she's like, I would be coming down there. And I was like, holy crap. Like, okay, like, don't, don't do that. But like, she, she was like, I, I, they, they need to cut to her. See what her expressions like. See what else. I don't think they will because they're probably going to watch the game, but camera 12, go to camera 12. I would have watched that. I mean, I would have, because you just know, like, as he's sitting there, because like the, the cameras caught him. I mean, it, like I mean, he was mad. He was that dude was not going to come out of the game barring a direct order, and you know it's because he was afraid. And Jeff Schwartz pointed this out. You knew it's because he was afraid there was like a hairline fracture or something, mm-hmm. and that if once he went out, he was never coming back in. It's like, well, if I just keep going out there, what are they going to do? <laughs> like they can't, they can't stop me as I hop on my left foot to try to hand off the ball. So that was also interesting watching my wife go through that. Watching Mahomes learn to play quarterback on the fly 
like he's, you know, uh, the the comparison Nate Tice was making was like, you know, 38-year-old Dan Marino. <laughs> like, well, I can't move. So you sings. <laughs> yeah. Just like, just gonna need to figure this out, I guess. And it was awesome to watch. Um it was also awesome because my six-year-old was watching the game with me and had so many questions. And when you're when when the franchise is hurt, you just as a dad, you don't feel like answering questions about did the Chiefs score? How much is that worth? How do you get points? Who's the other team? What's and just I love my son. And that I think I proved it Saturday, honestly. Like that was like <laughs> I sat there and I answered every question that boy had. And, <laughs> and I sat there and I just kept hearing my dad's voice in my head. Just try. Just try. Just try. I was like, okay, I'm gonna try. Son, a touchdown is when they uh cross the goal line. What's a goal line? Okay. Son. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just uh. But I mean, there's just there's there's a lot, there was a lot to this game. But those were some of the things that just stood out to me in real time. The fact that we did finally get to learn how good a quarterback would Patrick Mahomes be on one leg. <laughs> when else are you going to get to answer these questions? I've long suspected that Patrick Mahomes on one leg is better than half the quarterbacks in the league. He, he might be. He it's more than of, half now. He, he, oh, good good point. Because I was going to say, like, he, he kind of proved it, Josh, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, like... The, yeah, his, his the, EPA per play was still better than any quarterback this regular season. That's not a joke. <laughs> I mean, and look, the the Chargers with a fully healthy quarterback scored three points in the second half. And they scored 10 with a quarterback on one leg, essentially. It's yeah, crazy. The, the charting that I saw, it had Mahomes at number one for the regular season. And the number two was Mahomes on one leg. And then it was everybody else for, for EPA per play. I, he didn't improve on one leg. I wanted to make that clear. But, yeah. you know, still and better you than everybody see- else. You could see it have an effect on certain things they're trying to do. And yeah, they're going to. No, f- definitely. <laughs> Let's hold on. <laughs> hold on. Time out. I just want to make sure everyone knows that I know that it, <laughs> that, that it definitely looked worse. Yeah, and yeah. I want to make sure you know that I know that, right? <laughs> you understand what we're doing here? We're doing a bit, a little bit? Sure. Yeah, the stat, yeah, the stats nope. are legit. That's a real thing that I saw on Twitter. Yes. But yeah, I do it, think. Yes, yeah, Seth. I do think. Seth Kaiser, film analyst extraordinaire. Seth, I do think that the one-leggedness of Patrick Mahomes did impact the offense. <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm going to have to really chart the snaps. Yeah, what see. else did you see, you genius? Uh, you know, it was, it, you know, it's just a bit unusual when a ball just dies on him when he's throwing it right to Kadarius <laughs> Tony. But that could have been anything. It could have been anything. <laughs> you know, um, but it really was, it was, it was kind of an interesting uh, game. And I'm curious, like from Chiefs fans' perspectives, I... The whole week, it did not feel like the playoffs to me. I don't know if that's just because I'm getting spoiled and the Chiefs always make the AFC championships. I was like, eh, you know, there's always next week if they don't play well. It's like, no, there's not. Like, And so then right at kickoff, basically, maybe like five minutes before, I just started freaking out. So that was fun. Like, wait, the season could be over in three Yeah, this is, this is winning, win, win or go home, Seth. Yeah, like, this is this is it. Like, no, what? And so I lost my mind and then, you know, got over it when the first drive, which I don't know if that's where, you know, I'm sure you guys will have something to say on this. As soon as the first drive ended for the Chiefs, um, well, first, the first drive for the Jags, where Spags is like, so guys, what we're going to do is we are going to blitz 
all night. Yep. And just, they blitzed on first and 10 on the first play of the game. And then they blitzed on second and 10. <laughs> and then they blitzed on third and three. And I was like, oh, okay. It's going to be one of those games. One of those days. <laughs> hey, hey, Trevor. Hey, Trevor. Yep. We come in. <laughs> yeah. Trevor, how comfortable are you calling out protections, buddy? And, man, I mean, he handled it better than Jordan Love did, getting the Jordan Love treatment. And Doug Peterson was like, Doug Peterson figured it out quick. It was like, okay, dude, you are throwing the ball behind the line of scrimmage like three-fourths of the time tonight. Just get rid of the ball. Get rid of the ball. But coach, just get rid of the ball, Trevor, or Derek Naughty is going to eat your face. And, and that's such a great point because there were some people that said, well, look, they took one shot, you know, downfield uh, for Christian Kurt. And that was based off basically a, a, a pre-snap audible, basically a check. Also on the play, when you have Leo Chanel out there, they're 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 asking you to run the football. Um, so that was the yep. check for Trevor. Was like, hey, it's Leo, let's go play action. But the reason they didn't do that more often was because um they're blitzing too much, and <laughs> we got to get the ball out. And so it actually had a cumulative effect that I don't think a ton of people recognize. It's like, man, yep. they're only throwing the ball down the field when they're forced to on like third and eights or, you know, second and 18. And it's like, yeah, because he's not waiting around. He, he he wants to start, you know what, like just start bleak. Yep, let's just get going. And so my, my nerves settled a little after that because I was like, okay, we're getting that version of Spags. And boy, did Trevor not handle that. Because, like, we, we've seen things happen, like, playing the Bengals, where, like, you see them try it with, with Joe Burrow, and it's like, nope. <laughs> like, just, oh, you're going to do that? Okay, I'm just going to throw it over the top of that dude's head to Jamar Chase, like, three times, and then you'll stop. And it's like, ah, oh, crap, that's not going to work. So that made me feel a little bit better. And then Mahomes on that first drive, I literally, the rest of the game, outside of, obviously, the fear that I had when, when Mahomes went down, as soon as that drive was over, I was like, the Chiefs are going to win this game because the Jags are going to have to put up 45 to win this game, and they're not going to do that because that first drive down the field was like, he was Mahomes was so dialed in that he was about to put up 400 yards and five touchdowns, and it's a shame we didn't get to see that play out. After the Chiefs' first drive, and I think, I mean, at that point, they uh they had a forced three and out and then that first offensive drive. So both sides of the ball had done some things. Yep. I tweeted out a screenshot of the final score of Georgia TCU. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I was feeling at seven nothing. Because you're so right. It was Beards McFly and I were both hooting and hollering in the uh in the studio because it was just at some point Beard just went. Why don't they just call the Mahomes does some bull bleep play every time? Because it felt like that's what was happening. Like it was about to be the fire breathing dragon rocket ship game and, and everything that we love to see from that. Um, with with us leading up to that point, almost chronologically here, I want I want to keep waxing eloquent about Travis Kelsey. I want to get into some of the like, you know, things we actually learned from all of this. But Nate, can you you gave us the locker room uh, scene and everything already. But can you tell us what it was like at Arrowhead when from that moment up through Patrick Mahomes coming up hobbling and then the the sideline, I don't want to say altercation, they weren't fighting, but the sideline interaction 
with Reed and Mahomes and, and Rick Burkholder, the head trainer, VP yeah. Sports Medicine. Uh, and just kind of what set that scene for us a little bit for those of us who, who weren't in the building. Yeah, so it was um, – so the injury occurred on a completion. So your eyes naturally, you know, are trained to follow the ball. Um, and so when he hobbled, when he got up, I was like, oh, he's – you know, I was thought – I thought, oh, is this a sort of aggravation of what happened – against the Denver Broncos uh, sort of late in the season. Mm-hmm. And then he couldn't step. Uh, and then the building got real quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the the crazy thing is, is that you're trying to, now you, you only have two sets of eyes. Um, and, and so now you're trying to figure out like, okay, where's Chad Henney? But I also need to keep, you know, one eye on Mahomes. Um, it was fascinating that like Henney warmed up immediately, like saw the play. And was like, I need to get with um, Nick Allegretti and at least go through some 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 usual warm up motions out of center, obviously in shotgun. But Holmes stays in; they get a field goal. Um, but I thought, and I think a lot of people thought he was going to have to come out the game when he couldn't do a handoff, when he couldn't go from under center, turn around, drive to the running back to hand the football off. Um, and I thought for sure, like, oh well, like. You know, this is this is how quickly the sport can change um, because it is a violent sport and how quickly championships can be tilted, um, how, the, how everything can be tilted in a certain manner on one snap. Um, and so I thought he was probably done for the day at that point. Um, Heaney puts his helmet on. He goes through the routine. Um, and while the team is basically going onto the field with Heaney, which, by the way, starting at the two-yard line, you just notice that Mahomes is not interrupting the play calling, but he's kind of like, <laughs> what do I have to do? And Coach is like, chill for a second. What's the first play you want to give Chad, given that we're now at the two-yard line instead of like somewhere a little further in our territory? Um, And so they have the conversation. Uh, NBC... Did a really good job of showing it. He walks to the locker room, basically, I guess, moments right before they go on go on the field um, with Chad under, you know, commanding the offense now. Um, and then midway in the drive, he comes back. So mm-hmm. uh, it was one of the more, like, unusual monitoring of an injured player during the game um, because it's not like he, you know, it's not like a player goes to the tent and the tin is so big and it's so blue uh in a in a in a red stadium uh with people donning red attire it's so noticeable when the tent like when the player comes out of the tent like it's just it's it's an easy uh recognition for the eye based on where we are in the press box and then of course um now you're like which which overcoat does he have on is he that one or is he this one and like so we're all like somebody's keen the down and distance in the press box. Somebody's keen where Mahomes is at all times. Like all of a sudden we kind of have to work together where it's me, Vahe Gregorian and, and obviously Herbie Tiobi of the Kansas City star, Adam Teicher of ESPN, uh, Matt Derrick of chiefs digest. We're all like, we're talking as if we're on a protection call. Like, Hey, like, Hey, you, where is he? Is he here? Is he there? Okay. Like who's got the helmet on? Who's getting the play call. Okay. When Henny comes off the field, after the touchdown, of course, we all saw Mahomes congratulate him. Okay, who is who is like they're both in the situation? Oh, Mahomes is not 
By the way, he never sat down after that point. He never sat on the bench. He always stood up, um, which was something that was obviously unusual because when the drive ends, he usually sits down with Nagy and Bienemy, and then Reed comes in, gives his thoughts, and then obviously has to, you know, monitor what the defense is doing, get ready for, like, situational stuff with, like, challenges and whatnot. So, and obviously to coordinate these with Spags, he never, he never sat down. He always stood up, and um, it was just – we're all just trying to make sure, like – it's funny. It forces you to process the game similarly to what the coaches have to do, where it's like, okay, how many minutes are left in the half? What do you think they're going to do at halftime? Okay, like, how can you get to have like, what is the best way for them to get to halftime with the lead? And then, okay, as soon as they come out of the halftime, like, who's going to ID him? And then, obviously, where are we going to go with that? So you're trying to update people as fast as possible. Um, I think we did a news alert on the athletics app and website pretty quickly, um, which I contributed to. Uh, and they asked me, hey, what's the offense going to look like in the second half of Chad Hitty? Hmm. Four minutes later, Mahomes is trotting onto the field. So I just, I just, I'm on Slack like, shrugs, guys. <laughs> shrugs. <laughs> uh, very unusual. But him running onto the field to MVP chance, um, that's very storybook movie-like. Um, and then... You could tell, and I rewatched this today, the fourth quarter drive where they score a touchdown. As Seth alluded to, he obviously had a he couldn't plant, didn't didn't have enough oomph on the throw to Kadarius Tony on sort of the the sort of that jet sweep action again. And then somewhere in the middle of the drive, he found rhythm. And even in that, it's like that is remarkable. <laughs> like he cannot move. They're blitzing him, but he's still kind of moving around. His back shoulder throw to Juju Smith-Schuster was excellent, given the circumstances and him recognizing the matchup. And then, and then, yeah, I'm just going to jump in the air so that MVS has a has a touchdown, just 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 because you know I've, I'm in rhythm now with a with a sprained ankle. Like it's just it's crazy. Um, but that's that's what it was like um, for much of the second half, and then the attention really turned to. Um, you know, can the defense withhold a, a, a furious Jacksonville team recognizing, oh man, we're down two scores and we got to be a, you know, you know, in a more up-tempo offense. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, I want to move to the other things in this game that we do think are interesting, like Kelsey and the defense and all that. Um, just anything real quick from what Andy Reid said today. He's got a you know, brief Monday presser, and then we'll learn more Wednesday and Thursday. Um, but I- anything that people should know to tide us over until we get to the Wednesday pressers and then our, our episode on Thursday afternoon. Um, yes. Let me remind everybody. He is probably the one exception of I don't need to practice and I might play on Sunday. He is the one exception to the rule. Um, It would help the Chiefs, though, if he participates in any capacity on Wednesday. And that literally means one rep. That's Mm -hmm. all he has to do to be a limited participant on on Wednesday is one rep. What you want to see is him at least participate on Wednesday and then him participate Thursday. And then on Friday build up his repetitions as the week moves along and hopefully the strength in his ankle holds up to where um, he doesn't have a setback. What Andy Reid said today on Monday was basically, it's not as bad of an ankle sprain as the one he had on opening day in 2019. And ladies and gentlemen, let me just tell you this one, Andy Reid's not a doctor Two, Andy Reid didn't roll his ankle or have his ankle, (laughs) have his knees collapse. Didn't have another player's knees fall on his ankle. Okay. (laughs) Also, I find that hard to believe because Mahomes moved a lot better later in that game against Jacksonville than he did in the second half against this version of the Jaguars. So Andy Reese playing the optimistic card. That's fine. Sure, coach. Um, but again, Patrick Mahomes summoned one of the greatest walkouts that I've ever seen. So who's to say who's being truthful here? Um, but the reality will start to set in Thursday, in my opinion. Um, because what happened two years ago with the turf toe was on Thursday, I was like, mm, this this looks about right. This looks like it's heading in a positive direction. And then on pregame of Sunday against the Buffalo Bills in the 2020 AFC Championship, the man motioned himself out on a, and then ran a route pregame and then jumped to high point a ball like it was a 50-50 ball from like Chad Henney at the time. And it was at that point that I realized he is going to absolutely roast the Buffalo Bills in this game. And he uh, proceeded to do that coming off a concussion and turf toe. So this is a bit of a different challenge. But if he practices Wednesday and Thursday, that's a good sign. Don't believe anything Andy Reid said today until proven otherwise, which is Wednesday or Thursday. That makes me nervous just because I don't feel like Andy Reid uh, is a positive liar very often. I feel like he prefers to lie by uh, underselling and uh, going the optimist route today actually kind of freaks me out a little bit as you uh, have now planted that seed of doubt in my head. Uh, so thanks for that. Seth, uh, we <laughs> should we should definitely talk about some of the things you've written about uh, from this game because I, I do want to talk about, I, I think there are legitimate things from Chiefs Jags we don't have to get straight to the Bengals just yet. And again, we'll have our Bengals episode later in the week as well. 
Uh, but but where do you want to start? Do you do you have more to say? We talked about Travis Kelsey a little bit. I, I haven't said this sentence out loud in about uh, in at least in the last hour or so. So I'm going to go ahead and say it again now, which is that Travis Kelsey caught more than half of the Chiefs' <laughs> completions in this game. He had 14 receptions. The Chiefs had 27 completions. That bleep is insane. Uh, and as you've already written in the Chiefs of the North newsletter, that that puts him on a borderline mythical level. Uh, and then also we we have a lot to build on from the defense. So if you want to wax more eloquent on on Travis Kelsey from earlier, I want to make sure you feel like you have the opportunity to do that. I um, would Getting love choked up to, just thinking about him, man. Yeah, I get it. yeah. Um, <laughs> I would just say um, I wrote about Travis Kelsey in the Chief North newsletter in an article that is unlocked because I wanted to. Uh, talk a little bit about what makes him so good, which I've done a lot before, but I really, I wanted to kind of try to capture on more of a frame by frame and drive by drive basis, just how crucial Kelsey was to the win because his stat line, because he's so great of, you know, 14 catches, 98 yards, two touchdowns. That's a really good stat line, but it doesn't scream. I carried the offense and people, you know, might remember, well, MVS scored that touchdown and Mahomes made that throw and, you know, et cetera, you know, Pacheco had that you know, almost 40 yard run, which by the way, shout out to Isaiah Pacheco and Jalen Watson and the chiefs traffics just doing work, man. But when you really look at that game through like a play by play lens, which more and more, the longer I do this, the more often after games are done. And as I'm writing about them, I'll go back and I'll look at the play by play because you can find those, those, really crucial moments. And yes, every play could be crucial if there were like a fumble or a pick or blah, blah, blah. But like just a little thing, like a little five yard reception on third and three from, you know, their own, you know, about like 37, 38 yard line midway through the second quarter from Chad Henney. Statistically, that doesn't really show anything, right? But they a hundred percent needed to convert that. And it's not like they did anything special. They just... Kelsey turned, he threw him the ball, defenders draped all over him. And he's like, I don't think I'm going to let you tackle me right now because my team needs me to get another couple yards. Yep. And plus I am a much bigger man than you because you're a safety and linebackers can't cover me. And so that means that you, 200 pound man, are now dangling off of me as I die forward, a 260 pound man. Which, on a side note, Travis Kelsey, low-key, I think that dude's like 6'8". I, I don't believe for a second that he's only 6'5", the way he carries his weight. But that's a whole other thing. It just, the, the thing that I would really want to say about Kelsey, like really go back, look at the play-by-play. When they desperately needed yards, it was almost always Kelsey. Um, you know, you talked about uh, Mahomes finding a rhythm on that touchdown drive where they 100% needed it early in the fourth. Travis Kelsey got them to midfield. By just basically getting open, just on, t- on two plays where Josh Allen's like, "I'm all right. I'm gonna drop. I'm gonna drop into coverage." Yep. <sighs> yep. And the first one is is a zone drop that yep. is designed to take away your your tight end. It's designed to take away that little route. And Kelsey's like, "Oh well, if he's gonna go there, I'm just gonna widen this out by another oh yard and a half." And it seems so easy, but there's a reason no one else does it because yeah. it's so hard to do in real time. It's like, oh, I'm going to widen this out a little bit, but not so much that that safety can contest it. And boom, first down. Next play, okay, we can't drop him, but we're going to have Josh Allen beat the crap out of him at the line. Yes. And 
and he needs to shake off a you know 290 pound defender. I don't know how heavy Josh Allen is. He a 410 pound defender who runs a 424. <laughs> He's a Madden creative player, um, and he just does it. And Mahomes, to his credit, he bought a little time too. But Travis Kelsey, one day. He is going to, when everyone makes the Hall of Fame arguments for the greatest tight end of all time, a lot of Travis Kelsey's arguments are going to be statistical because no one's done what he's done statistically. But I would argue that games like this, where you can actually revolve your offense completely around him and not completely around just like one trait, like Gronk running dominant seam routes. Awesome. Unbelievable player. But with Kelsey... It is just, I desperately need you to do something, anything. Don't care what it is, but we need yards and it's you right now. And he just does it. There aren't, there's not another tight end like that in history where he can be the system for any period of time and carry the offense. And so, I don't know. I, I, I think that's enough waxing about, about Kelsey, but I hope we remember games like this when he eventually retires, hopefully like five years from now, and he's able to just age as gracefully as Tony G did. Five? Uh, like 15 from here? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Josh, what, what did the Chiefs do when their backup quarterback was uh, starting his first drive, his first significant drive of the season at the two-yard line against a divisional opponent who <laughs> uh, had an opportunity to steal momentum? What? Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy, and Matt Nagy cook up. Yep, I uh, I have in my notes here. First down, Henny to Kelsey. Yep. <laughs> I mean, they established the Kelsey. Yes, they did. Immediately. Yes, they did. <laughs> and then the best part is, hey Jacksonville. Now we're at your one yard line. We done traversed this thing ninety seven <laughs> effing yards on you mm-hmm. with a backup who's. 37 and 37 in human years, not Tom Brady years, right? Like 37 in Seth Kaiser years. I've seen Chad Henney eat real food. Um, (laughs) now you want to put two men on Travis Kelsey? Fine, you actually we'll point them out to you, and then MVS is gonna rub them both on his rub route, and I'm wide open. Because that's what I do. Um, and then, of course, the next time the team's in the red zone, guess what? Jacksonville's like, not going to beat us. He's not going to beat us. You got him. I got him. You got inside leverage. I got outside leverage. Why is MVS? I mean, I want to I wanna name this man because his family needs to know about his whereabouts. Um. His name is Tyson Campbell. He was 32. He was in man-to-man coverage against Marquez Valdez-Scantley. His whereabouts were last seen um, before the snap. <laughs> Guys, he's still he's still not in. He's, he still hasn't located MVS. <laughs> <laughs> he and, and we we are searching for um, for his for his identity and location. Um. Uh, I know MVS has not had the most productive or expected season. As we've said before, a lot of MVS's um, existence is to alleviate and open Travis Kelsey. 
But it 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 did dawn on me that it was very cool that MVS ran the route to get Kelsey open for Chad Henney, and then Kelsey basically took the entire middle of the field mm-hmm. so that MVS could once again eviscerate Tyson Campbell from the game on a slant route in short yardage with really little space to work with. I don't know if MVS can do that next week against Cincinnati, but that was the best route he's run all year. Like I, I want to encourage people to go back and watch MVS's touchdown. I know everybody's eyes is trained on Mahomes because he was also doing um, stellar, brilliant work, given the circumstances he was uh, he was put under. But MVS absolutely shook this man as if we were on the field, <laughs> and that's hard to do. Uh, what what should we be looking at now offensively in terms of what is repeatable or what else stood out there? Because we mentioned Pacheco, the the Travis Kelsey, uh, absolute like Hall of Fame, not highlight reels, be the wrong term because for reasons you laid out, Seth, but a Hall of Fame game to remember. You get your MVS moment. You get Pacheco's thirty nine yard run was a thing of absolute beauty. Um, he was he was good outside of that as well, but that's obviously the, the memorable one. The crazy thing is beyond that, um, Jarek McKinnon got a whole bunch of carries, but zero catches. In fact, zero targets. Um, he did get, let me see, hold on, check my notes. One body, though, in pass protection. <laughs> he has been charged score. with assault? Yeah, he's, he's, he, he caught one case that he will currently, you'll have to handle this offseason for um, beheading a man. But uh, other than that, it's a really, really weird game to look on. I mean, obviously, first of all. And second of all, it's a weird <laughs> game to look at the box score of. And then third of all, it's weird to like look back on because they were able to do some things offensively. You get that miracle drive from, from Chad Henney in relief there. And just again, just the weirdness of the box score with all of that for Kelsey. Canarius Tony had five catches. I think his average depth of target was probably in the negatives. But um, he, he got touches that, that technically came through the passing game, one on the ground, two. And then Juju got two catches and nobody else had more than one. Like everybody, you get your big Noah Gray play. You get a clutch Justin Watson play. You get that touchdown from MVS that you just mentioned. But man, it was just, I don't, I don't know how much of this, it means anything because I don't know if the, the offense is going to look extremely similar to this next week, depending on the, the health of Mahomes. Or if this ultimately outside of that first drive is just a thing you can write off to like, they adapted and did enough in a game where their quarterback had one leg, and, and God bless them for it. What do you think, what, Seth? What do you think is more true there in terms of like where where we can actually look in the offensive picture overall? There's a giant question mark there because so much of it depends on how mobile Mahomes is, yeah, which is going to color how much Reed feels the need to compensate for that. Um, I know a few things I would think about doing. But, you know, the 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 Bengals have traditionally played the Chiefs run game decently. Although, if I'm recalling, and correct me if I'm wrong here, the Chiefs ran the ball when they actually ran the ball fairly effectively against them earlier this year. It's just they didn't run the ball much, if I'm recalling. Uh, let's see, I, see, I see Pacheco, 14 carries, 66 yards. So it's not great. It's not terrible. 
if I were the Chiefs, I would be at least considering the fact that, you know, when Henny was in, they're like, hey, let's call some runs. And they were able to gash them on the ground a little bit, set up some stuff. The problem is a lot of the stuff that the Chiefs set up with the run game, the under center run game that they've used as a changeup this year in, you know, in 12 and 13 personnel is, you know, a boot or a moving pocket. And you don't want Mahomes running around a whole bunch, right? And so the offense is just this great big unknown in a lot of ways, which I was telling you guys before we started recording that I'm like, the fan in me is trying to convince myself, you know, this is it. That's actually hashtag actually good <laughs> because now Big Lou, who has done work against the Big team, Lou, man, shout out to him. I can't believe I, I haven't heard of a single head coaching interview. For him, hey, you can't get interviewed if you ain't if you ain't if your season ain't ended. <laughs> but I mean, he, he's he's schemed up well for Mahomes several consecutive games, and he he's mixed it up. You know, the, everyone talked about the drop eight last year in the AFC Championship. I don't really think that was quite the reason things went wrong, but it was part of it. It it, it helped, and then what well, hurt the Chiefs? But you know what I mean. And then this year, they they actually blitzed quite a bit, especially early in the game. They kind of came after him and flipped things around. So I keep trying to convince myself, well, they don't know what to expect either. No one knows what to expect. You know, I mean, do you do you dust off the the Alex Smith playbook? Do you because Alex Smith was really mobile too? Yeah. And and so it's just this giant question mark. One thing I will say is the Chiefs' offense has been significantly more multiple this year. It does more things well than it did last year. It can succeed out of more of a variety of personnel and a variety of formations and a variety of, of against a variety of different defensive looks. What does that mean? I don't know. I, and so that's, I, I'm sorry. I'm like, it's such a complete cop-out. But I genuinely, I was watching a little bit of what they were doing against the Jags, which doesn't color too much what you're going to do against the Bengals. Um, mm. I just like, I know what I would do if I were Reed, but then you, 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 you end up in a princess bride conversation, right? Where, well, I know what I would do, but they know what I would do. And I know that they know what I mean. It's my best. It's my favorite part of football. Hey, hey, shut ahead. I know you're going to run them naked boots. Damn, why is he open in the middle of the field again? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so you just, you you almost have to guess right at the appropriate time when you've got that many options. So if I were the Chiefs, I would obviously formulate a game plan around a little more max protect than they generally use. And, you know, some quick throws. Kadarius Tony would get like 10 targets if it were me. Show me you can tackle Kadarius Tony in space because most people can't seem to. He always gets positive yardage, it feels like. Oh, also, stop running jet sweeps to Sky Moore. Just on a complete side note, that is not his thing. He doesn't have strength through contact against NFL players right now. Let him run routes. He's good at it. He's good at catching footballs. He is not a tackle breaker. But anyway, that's my TED Talk on Sky hey, Moore. Hey, hey, Seth, we know that. And they know we know that. So we <laughs> yeah, just wanted to put it on film so that they had to account for that because we know that that they know that that we know when he in the <laughs> slot next week he not gonna be running them jet sweeps or he gonna run them jet sweeps to run wheel routes or angle routes or fly routes we gotta we gotta set it up Seth because they know that we know he should stop doing that and that's and that's the problem that's why you end up in a princess bride conversation because so much of it is done to set things up 
So if I were them, I mean, yeah, you formulate a game plan around short throws, but you want to know the other side of that? You want to know one thing Mahomes looked comfortable doing? Still looked comfortable pushing the ball down the field. Mm-hmm. So maybe, maybe it's the MVS game. Maybe this is finally where they say, hey, you know who beat the Bengals over the top a couple times? MVS. One of the few things they're not terrific at handling some of those deep shots. Now, you know, they, they've got they've got some good safeties, but they can be beaten over the top. MVS and Justin Watson gotta be getting their steps in this week. We need that conditioning peak form. Right. And so I, I, I wish I could answer your question, but now instead I just have so many questions of my own because you just don't know what it looks like. And um, I'm curious, like, I mean, if Reed feels the same way, I'm sure he has a game plan he wants to install. And but you obviously have to account for Mahomes. I mean, you're they're not gonna be running any more read option looks, I don't think. Because that was and that's the other thing. They were ready to unlock a whole option package, not even read option, but actually traditional option. They ran an option on the to the left play. side. On the first play, it got 12 yards. Yeah. It was like, I've never seen them do that. And they were about to unfold this whole new thing that they've never done. And then Mahomes gets hurt. And that's such a bummer because you can tell the defenders like, okay, normally, okay, when they do this, your job is to blow up the quarterback. But if I blow up Patrick Mahomes right out here in wide open space for the whole world to see, someone's throwing a flag on me. So do I wait? Ah, he's almost here. Ah, he gave the ball to Pacheco. <laughs> it was just, I don't know. So I, I think if I were if I were to pick two guys, Pacheco feels like the obvious one. But I, I think the two guys are Tony and MVS because the, the Bengals generally do a good job against Kelsey. He's going to want to redeem himself for that fumble, you know, that really, really hurt them in that last game. But... I think MVS and Tony, because if they can stretch the field a little and and the offensive line gets him enough time to stretch the field, it's just an entirely different team on those games where he gets one or two. Um, can I can I throw something at the wall, Josh, and see if oh, it'll stick? Fling it. Absolutely. <laughs> so I'm thinking about footwork, but also still adding elements to the run game. What if they did pistol formation? Ooh, man. There no, was an I, issue when Mahomes had to move to hand the football off. Like that was. So I don't want to put. Yeah. So I don't want to put him in center a ton. Right. So pistol gives me closer. You know, it obviously splits halfway <laughs> between basically, you know, for lamest terms, halfway between being under center and shotgun. Oh, but oh, but Kansas I'll, City Chiefs fans remember pistol. Oh, I remember. I remember nobody has forgotten. Okay, okay, okay. Of, of Tyler Thigpen and the pistol offense. Now, Chan Gailey, come on! I, but I, you know, if that man could throw a football, he would have been a good NFL quarterback. All you got to do is just <laughs> take the snap, turn left or right. Yep. Let the running backs do the thing. I love obviously, obviously, you can still have some motion involved in this. Um, obviously, there's some cutback lanes to be had. There's some sweeps to be had in, in, in pistol. You don't have to necessarily run forward. Um, so, you know, I'm not saying McCole Harmon's going to be on the field. But if he was, like, now you could line up quickly, get in pistol, have, you know, McCole run across the formation, 
then have Tony run across the formation and maybe maybe it's something for the linebackers and the safeties have to just slightly think about for half a second and that may alleviate you know how the defensive linemen especially on the edge are sort of coming off the ball but I just you know to protect the quarterback obviously he's got to stay in the pocket but every time you're in shotgun it it's it there is some hard things to do in terms of running consistently um Unless you're just winning up front, which hey, maybe the Chiefs offense can against the Bengals defensive front. But um, but yeah, that that as we were as we're talking through this, that's one thought that came to mind was like, what if you just put him in pistol? That way he doesn't have to take the snap and turn his back to the defense and again get to the landmark in enough time because on Saturday he was hobbling basically on one, you know, he's basically hopping on one foot. And that was the most concerning thing to me, which is like, I don't know if you can Again, we don't know how much it'll, how much his ankle will improve between now and Sunday, um, but I don't know how many times. I guess I should look this up uh, while we talk about it. I don't know how many times they've been in pistol. Maybe I'll have that information for us on Thursday. But it is something that, like, at least it could alleviate it. But the running back is still starting in a somewhat traditional manner from where he starts most plays from that are not shotgun related. I love this idea. I would love to see some playoff. Remember where you came from. Pistol formation in honor of, well, look, I mean, you want to talk about great number fours in Chiefs history. Chad Henney, Tyler Thigpen. Boom, right there. Spider-Man meme. Pay pay homage to your roots. I, I God, I hope that happens. Um, and I also think it makes sense because of all of the movement things we just talked about. I like that mm-hmm. one a lot, Nate. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing... Uh, if just really not even uh, how much they run it this year. I'm looking forward to hearing after the season um, the the story you eventually tell of Andy Reid coming to you after the year the Chiefs have won the Super Bowl. <laughs> Maybe he pulls you over to the side of the parade and says, "Nate, I was listening to Times Ours and yes. you had a great idea about the pistol formation." And, and frankly, Nate, you saved our season. You know, um, we were we were spitballing it on on Monday, and then so, right. you know one of, one of the quality control guys came to me and said, "You know, you know." I mean, you know uh, Nate, right? So, like, hey, this this is what I heard, and then you know, I went back, you know, ran through it a little bit, and was like, this will take us over the edge, you know? Like, it's gonna be if, the thing. If the room was split, let's 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 go with the pistol, you know? Let's 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 bring out something new. <laughs> At the very least, you're the tiebreaker. Uh, <laughs> so we we've talked about all of the things surrounding all this, but and we just have a few minutes left. So, as Seth, I'll, I'll let you uh, hop up to the uh, to the grill first here. Talk about Steve Spagnuolo and the defensive day that we saw from that group, what we saw from Spags, how he achieved some of those things we alluded to earlier on in the show. Uh, and and we don't have to even project this over to the Bengals just yet because we're going to have a lot to talk about once we get there. But uh, Seth, already you've already, already written about the defense, about Spags, Spagsing up in the, uh, the Chief of the North <laughs> newsletter, mnchiefsfan.substack.com. Uh, I, I would like you to to share a little bit of the good word of uh, of what you saw at the time, and then if anything on the uh, reevaluation jumped out to you, and then uh, Nate, you can kind of fill in the gaps there, and, and we'll get out of here on a defensive note. So the the big thing, you know, Spags blitzed the first three snaps of the game, and he did send a lot of pressure throughout the game. So that's one thing I wrote about is Spags clearly did not think, or he just observed right away and kept acting on it. And based on the first game that they played this year was the same deal that the Jags between Lawrence, who really, I almost view him as a rookie, honestly, because that dude was not getting coached last year. Um, <laughs> he just wasn't. So 
Like the, sometimes he, the most important thing a coach can do is give you a good kick in the pants. <laughs> yeah, that's what Urban Meyer was there to for do. Sure. For sure. Well, and every now and then you got to grind out wins, and you got to You know what? Never mind. I can't do this. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the one some of the best coaches out there are married to the game. And <laughs> oh, gosh, I'm. I can't. I can't. I know. I want to. Although okay. he has it coming, honestly. Anyway, yeah, he does. Yeah, infidelity. I, I'm. I'm gonna go after you. Anyway, so <laughs> Spags. Back to him. <laughs> he, he spent the day going after him because he seemed to see, and this is something I actually I, I felt pretty proud of myself. The the Chargers and Brandon Staley had some success with blitzes, games up front, getting some immediate pressure on Lawrence because their protections didn't always go through and then and then not only do you when you when you get their protections kind of messed with you have the added benefit that now that they are just all over the place trying to figure out what you're doing every now and then the guard in the center are just gonna let Colin Saunders run right by them Mm-hmm. Because and man, oh, and Derek Naughty. Now that one, he he had to win that a little bit too. But both times, I mean, he took shots from really big dudes. And part of that, it's it's a it's it's an effect over the course of time with kind of just the way that it affects the entire game plan for a team. It's kind of what we were talking about with the pass rush. It affects their play calls. It affects their protections. But it doesn't just affect their protections of that one play. It affects them on every play. And what I tried to do when I highlight, I wrote, you know, Spag's going to Spag's. It's not just about that last play where Justin Reed and Brian Cook, he blitzed two safeties from the same side. Amazing. On just, the final play. Just, just like, amazing. Doing? I didn't even know you could do that. Um, but one thing I really would want to point out, like to just, if I were going to go through any of these, um, I'll go through, um, I'll go through one where, with a with a little uh little under seven minutes left in the game, you've got you got the Jags need to score, right? They've yes. gone down two scores. And one of the things they run is a delayed blitz, just slightly delayed by Willie Gay Jr., where Karloftis and Dana are on the left side of the line, and they both press inside to drag the right tackle and right guard with them. And then You've got Jalen Watson kind of showing blitz from the slot, but they've got a running back on that side, so it's fine. So we're also going to bring Willie Gay Jr. (laughs) And now the running back has to make a choice, and they always pick the inside guy. That's what they're taught. But the problem is that means he's actually leaving the guy who's farther upfield and faster. And and Lawrence takes a shot. And because they got Frank Clark covering slot receivers in that moment. Hip which, to hip, by the way. Yeah, which, and, and on that very last play, he, he was sprinting down the field with him. Here, he's slamming into him at the line of scrimmage. Everyone gets so mad at zone blitz. Like, oh, Carl Loftus is covering Christian Kirk. That's no way to win. If you run zone blitzes and you want to do it in a way that surprises them, the goal is to get an offensive lineman blocking air and accomplishing nothing but getting in the way of everyone else. And that's what happens when it works. Spags did a great job with that. We'll talk, I know, more about it later in the week. But the other thing was it wasn't just him going full Spags every snap. He he kind of mixed it up. There were multiple third downs, like on some of the more obvious passing downs, he didn't send pressure. And he let the front four do some work. And there were some mixed results. They they could not block Chris Jones. And people are like, oh, well, then why didn't he have three sacks? I, I can't do this with you right now. If you ask me that, I can't. <laughs> I, I swear, I will freak out. 
They couldn't block Chris Jones. That's one reason Frank Clark collected a sack. That's one reason why they were throwing the ball in like 0.2 seconds, even when the Chiefs weren't blitzing, because they were like, you know, I saw what he did to our guards on the last drive, and I'm just going to throw the ball. So he, he, he mixed it up and kept them guessing, and Doug Peterson is not an easy man to keep guessing. And that's how they limited them to this constant check down or wide receiver screen stuff. And Peterson called a good game from it, from a limited playbook. But Spags was able to limit their playbook. And that'll be kind of interesting, I think, heading into the Bengals game. Mm. Anything you want to add to that on the defensive side before we get out of here, Nate? Um, Legereus Sneed tackling in the middle of the field or even on the perimeter was uh, excellent. Um, obviously, I think most people know about the fumble. Um Inside the red zone, and look, they're—it's just clear they're going to have to have those plays. Uh, they obviously needed them um, Saturday against the Jags. They'll need it Sunday against the Bengals. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're blitzing Justin Reed more, um, and I don't know if that was something that they were just going to wait on for the majority of the season uh, before they sort of unveiled it, sort of late here. Um, I find that super duper fascinating, and I think the reason why Jalen Watson was on the field more than Joshua Williams. Because remember, at the end of the regular season, we were wondering, like, hey, they've been splitting these these snaps. It's clearly an audition. Dave Merritt, the the secondary coach, basically acknowledged that um, before the postseason began. And Jalen Watson won, that, won out, basically, because he can tackle in space. Mm. And that's really fascinating. Like, there was a couple plays where they, they tried him, and he made the tackles. Um, and I know that's not super duper sexy, but like that is pretty much what they've chosen to value, which I find to be quite telling. And then he gives you the bonus of having a one-handed interception. I mean, really, <laughs> Jalen Watson couldn't have played better. And I, I just, how they've coached him up, Joshua Williams, obviously Trick McDuffie is excellent on his own, but how they've coached those guys up and there was only one holding penalty mm-hmm. in the entire game and it was from McDuffie. Um, like they've, they've had, they've had a, they've had a really remarkable coaching year with a lot of these young guys. Um, so that, that's, that's the last little bit of information I just want to put out there is that Jalen Watson is on the field because he can cover and he can tackle. And I guess he's trending in the direction that like Traverius Ward did only he's doing it at a faster rate than Traverius Ward did. Yeah. Uh, I've I've talked about the the DBs tackling in space. I think probably every one of the previous three weeks because we saw more of it. It looked good. It made me very excited. Uh, I just that's a thing that we'll talk about on Thursday. I promise is the ability of these dudes to tackle versus the most untackable wide receiver in football right now. Obviously being Jamar Chase. Um, but even as a lifelong and still card carrying member of the Marcus Peters fan club. Uh, where there was one cornerback who used to play in Kansas City who I did not care if he tackled or not because I like to <laughs> ball at him. I remain in that fan club, and I am also a – I am paying my dues for the uh, the current Chiefs cornerback group because I have had so much fun watching them play over the, the last act of the regular season. Um, and, man, I hope that they – I hope that they've got something impressive in them for uh, – for the, the AFC Championship game on Sunday. So we'll be back later in the week to talk about all of that, to preview Chiefs Bengals, and uh, I'm sure to talk more about whatever we learn about Patrick Mahomes' ankle. In the meantime, 
Already two new pieces up on the Chief in the North newsletter, mnchiefsfan.substack.com. Already 97 new pieces from Nate Taylor, if I'm counting correctly, <laughs> uh, up on theathletic.com. If you're not subscribed to The Athletic, you can go to theathletic.com slash timesars. It'll take you straight to a, a link to sign up there. Uh, and then also, I'll go ahead and do a specific uh, post-game plug because we had all the pressers and all the audio and everything from Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and Chad Haney. Um, just a lot to unpack from uh, the, the Jags post-game show. If you're looking for a little more of what it sounded like right after the game, uh, you can find that on uh, the old Almost Entirely Sports podcast feed yeah. or 810WHB.com, the 810 mobile app, and the additional programming section there as well uh, In uh, if you want to grab that in podcasting in podcasting form because, there, God, there was a lot to talk about. We have, there, are, there are 15 things in this game I feel like we didn't even touch on. We've already blown past the hour mark. So I guess we'll just have to come back and do it again on Thursday. Shucks. Another AFC championship game. Five another, in a row. Unbelievable. Another one. It, it literally just like if you back at a time machine, not even six years ago, just five years ago, four years ago, I, I would have been like, no, that doesn't seem possible. And, and yet once again, here we are. So enjoy the ride. Uh, time's ours listeners, because this is a place that almost no one <laughs> has really been before. Uh, the Patriots and the, uh, the John Madden Raiders are are good company to be sharing on the consistent uh, appearance in the championship game front. So that being said, Nate, I'll let you get us out of here. So it's uh it's late in my time in the locker room on Saturday night, and this is pretty unusual. Um, but again, I, I wanted to save it for this moment. Um, you're seeing guys, this is mostly when like linemen can finally like take a breather and like relax um, it's always funny how guys <laughs> like leave the locker room. It's like, hey, uh, uh, the, the the receivers mostly are like some of the fastest people to to get in and out. But um, what was noticeable was that Eric Bieniemy um, spent some time in the locker room, really thanking everyone, um, giving little messages here and there. Um, we caught eyes, and he's like, "What up, Nate?" <laughs> and uh, I just looked at him and I went, whoo. <laughs> and, so, and I knew that reaction would make him laugh. Um, but it was really, um, it was really quite telling some of the relational, interpersonal connections BNME was having with guys on the offensive line in particular, uh, you know, Pacheco, a few of the running backs. And, you know, him him really telling me, like, it's really cool when, like, you have to say like it's a team sport and that was a great team win. Like that was a team win. Um, And so it's one of those moments where the coaches are like, we have to drill this in their head that it's like a, like like everybody on the team needs to contribute. And then you're put in that situation um, for circumstances that you can't foresee or that you obviously don't want or really anticipate all the time. And for the, for it to actually, um, become a thing that needs to be actually applied um, in practice. And so BNME wanted to make that point to everybody, just like how much he appreciated them, the effort they gave, and the fact that like every little bit mattered. And I think for us, football really does come back to it. Like we remember the highlights, we remember the great plays, but it is every little minute detail totally adds up in a postseason game. And I haven't talked to Eric Benemy in the locker room all season until Saturday um, because he wanted to spend more time with the players um, 
And I just, you know, I know it's these little moments. It's a, again, it's a vignette in a larger context of things, but like coaching is about X's and O's and Eric Bietami is fine with that. He is very good at that, but it's also kind of about that moment. Um, Eric Bietami is on a one year contract. He is literally coaching week to week now without really knowing what the future is because um, that's something we can talk about obviously moving forward he could of course perhaps return to the team on another one year deal but um, he has real connections with the guys and the guys responded to what he had to give them when the game got weird so I just wanted to acknowledge that just because um, it's not every it's not it's not often where a coach says to you like that was truly a great team win and that actually make sense for the moment, in the moment in time. And now you understand, like, why the coach and the player relationship is way more dynamic than we often realize.